You know, every time we uh, start a series or a message um, that deals with a particular group of people, right? In this case, we're talking about marriage and family. So we think marriage and husbands and wives, children. In one way, it affects everyone. But if you're uh, a kid or you're not married yet, um, you, you know, you might think, uh, well, I don't know if this applies to me. And, you know, it's easy to kind of like check out. Um, you might say, um, well, there's all kinds of responses you might have. And I just want to caution you against it for a few reasons. Number one, um, most of the principles we're talking about apply to everyone in some kind of relationship. Now, to be sure, not every principle applies to every relationship. But there are, there are biblical truths in here that we can apply to a variety of relationships. Um, and, uh, and so we need to understand what God says about how that works. Okay, so, so most of you can apply something uh, from from what God has to say to us here, right? Uh, if you're not married now and you think, well, maybe one day I'll be married, um, well, then it's important to get an understanding now of what God says about marriage and the purpose of family and and what God calls men to in being husbands and fathers and similarly wives, uh, what God calls women to as wives um, and mothers and and then there's a variety of other related topics that we will talk about as well. I can't tell you the number of times I, I talk with men and women who didn't know what God's plan was uh, for marriage or God's plan is for marriage and family and, and made a tough choice. And they're dealing with the consequences of it even today. And it's hard to watch people struggle. And so, you know, not everyone has the opportunity to hear what God's plan is and, and how God's purposes work together in creating men and women and bringing together them together and making them one in marriage. Um, and we have that privilege. Young people, you've got that privilege, um, not just here, but other places, parents who are teaching you these things as well. So um, there are also many who seem to have a great marriage, right? You come in here and, hey, how's it going? And you yuck it up with people. And, and it seems like everything's good, but we all know what we bring in here on Sunday morning is not always what Sunday afternoon's like. Or the hour and a half before church starts on Sunday morning is like, right? And so there's something for everyone to learn here. We just need this on repeat over and over again. Over and over again. So um, we can't just accept what the biblical marriage roles are. We need to understand them. To be sure, we need to accept them. But beyond accepting them, we need to really understand what the Lord says about them and how he's called us to live and how he wants to grow us through that process. So open up your Bible to Ephesians 5 or pull out your phone and click to Ephesians 5.22 and let's dive into the word together. Ephesians 5.22. We'll read 22 through 24 and then we're going to jump down to Paul's closing statement in verse 33. Paul says, wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. But as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then Paul, uh, after speaking about how men are called to love and lead their wives as Christ has loved the church, which Matthew did a fantastic job proclaiming to us last week. 
Paul closes and he says, let each of you husbands love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Friends, the call to, to the Christ-honoring wife is to magnify Jesus by willingly submitting to their own husbands as to the Lord. The call of a, of a Christian wife, of a Christ-honoring wife, is to magnify Jesus by willfully, willingly submitting to their own husbands as to, uh, as to the Lord. A few weeks ago, I said this phrase, something to the effect of marriage or family is important, but not most important. In other words, if you're not married right now, uh, the best thing that you can do to prepare for being a godly wife or a godly husband is to walk with Jesus now. It's a gift that you'll give your future husband, your future wife, your kids, maybe even your, your grandkids. Andreas Kosenberger provides a wonderful context. Uh, he has an excellent go-to resource. It's called God, Marriage, and Family. And this is a lengthy quote. I'm not going to read it fast. I'm not going to read it fast. It's important for us to, to take in as much of this as we can. He says, The marriage relationship must be seen within the compass of God's larger salvation historical end-time purpose. In other words, when you look back through the Bible history and you see God saving sinners to himself and preparing people for eternity with him, we have to put marriage and family in that context. None of us is an island unto ourselves. None of us is a family unto ourselves. Our decisions impact one another and our decisions impact future generations. He continues, God's purpose is to unite or to bring together all things in Him, things in heaven and on earth, which Ephesians 1.10 tells us. This includes spiritual powers who will be fully submitted to Jesus. The bringing together of Jews and Gentiles into one salvation historical end time entity, the church. The restoration of creation which men as divine image bearers are currently working to subdue and most relevant for our present purposes, the restoration of male-female marriage relationship as realized by spirit-filled, committed Christian believers who overcome the cursed struggle of manipulation and dominance in the power of Christ and relate to other in proper submission and Christ-like love. While God's purposes, therefore, are greater than marriage or male-female roles, they significantly include this relationship. That's a lot there. But it... it it, he does a great job of very succinctly saying a lot to set us off on a good trajectory for this morning. We've got to understand how God's purposes for marriage fit within the larger plan for each and every one of us. Your marriage, my marriage, affects many generations. 
your marriage, my marriage, affects this church family. Your marriage, my marriage, affects our neighbors. Those you, you, you go to school with, or your kids go to school with, those of your co-workers. If you think about our backgrounds and, and patterns, you know, each of us grew up, we were raised in environments, and we were taught a system for how relationships work. Now, you might say, and sometimes when we talk about church and church systems, sometimes people will say something to the effect of, well, we don't, we don't really have any systems. Well, that's a system. Right? We don't really have any systems. You just have to go to so-and-so to find that, okay, that's a system. Well, as you and I grew up and we watched our parents, we learned things from them. In some ways, it was intentional instruction and teaching on, on how marriages work. For many, dare I say most of us, it was less intentional instruction, but really modeling. Right? And you can follow a good model. You can follow a poor model. And so most of us did what I'm about to describe, and your children will do what I'm about to describe. And that is, you're going to grow up, and you're going to watch what's modeled for you, and left to yourself, you're just going to decide what you think makes sense, which is going to be largely based on on what you saw work with your folks. You're going to develop a normal. This is the nor this is how this is supposed to go. Well, then you're going to marry somebody or you have married someone who think, "Well, this is how normal is supposed to go." And then when you get married, you have to figure out, "Oh, wait a bit. What's our normal supposed to be?" And some of those normals are clearly defined in the Bible. Many of them are not. It's just what we saw growing up, and some things aren't right or wrong. It's just how people make decisions and how people relate to each other. And, you know, maybe you grew up with two parents working. Maybe you grew up with a dad working and mom at the home or a variety of different things. But what we need to do is pull ourselves back to the Scriptures. We need to look at the Scriptures and say, okay, I realize there are some things that I've learned growing up, and I know that they're not all necessarily true. What I saw that maybe was told to me to be Christian leadership wasn't actually Christian leadership, but it was something that was a little bit more domineering than I understand about how Jesus loved the church. Or what I was described, what was described to us as, as submission actually sure looked a whole lot like submission to other people, but manipulation. You know, and so we've got to come back um, to the scriptures. We have to understand, even when we see what was described to us maybe as God's plan, but flawed, we have to come back to the scriptures. Each of us is responsible to do our own part in reaching and teaching and living out what it means to be wholehearted followers of Christ. So, how do wives magnify Jesus by willingly submitting to their own husbands as to the Lord? Now. You might hear that little phrase in there, magnify Jesus, and think, I think Pastor Matt just added that so that things didn't get thrown at him with the rest of his sentence. Well, if he's talking about magnifying Jesus, I better put this back in my purse. Well, 
No, that's exactly what it is. We magnify Jesus, ladies, by willingly submitting to your own husbands as to the Lord. How do you do this? Well, first, you've got to embrace your purpose as a suitable helper. Now, our culture does not like this idea of being a helper. But I have news for you. The Holy Spirit is a helper. Being a helper, a good helper, is not demeaning. Being defined as a helper is not demeaning. Think about all the things that God did in creation. This is beautiful. I mean, it's really, really beautiful. God created everything. Sometimes I sit in the mornings and I watch the sunrise and this is a wonderful time of year. As the sun begins to come up, you start to see blue skies and sometimes clouds, wispy clouds. Dense fog begins to kind of dissipate across the field in our backyard and beyond our backyard. And you begin to see this big field that provides food. It's dirt. Soil. That over many months provides food for I don't know how many people because God makes it grow. I hear birds chirping and I just think, oh, if life could just stop right now and to listen and have the cool breeze and birds chirping and seeing different variations of bird flying and, you know, they flutter around and they go move quickly in and out of trees and some are more colorful than others. Just think, wow, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. And this is just like a, a one-hour experience, 45-minute experience of these sights and sounds. And after God created all of this beautiful, God saw in the Garden of Eden that man needed a suitable helper. He saw that Adam and Eve, I'm sorry, he saw that Adam needed help. Adam had wonderful fellowship with God, but he saw that Adam needed a helper. Among all of the wonderful things in creation, God pauses and he says, it is not good that man be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him, a suitable helper. And this helper came from Adam because Adam was created in God's image. And so God brought Eve from Adam and the two of them with equal eternal value, an eternal soul instilled in both of them. God fashioned the woman. And it was very good now, not just good, very good. A suitable helper is the good purpose of God. It's a, it's a high calling, ladies, to joyfully assist her husband in fulfilling their calling to bring glory to God with their lives. A suitable helper is one who completes, one who complements, one who crowns her husband. The writer of Proverbs says, an excellent wife or a, a woman of strength or a woman of inner strength is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in the bones. Now men, if you're thinking, oh good, he's going to tell her to get in line. 
you're already missing the boat. You've already missed it. It'll be online. Go back and watch it again. Men, Matthew pointed out last week and, and Craig the week before that you're called to live for God's glory, to bring glory to God according to how God says we ought to in your family, in your business, in your labor, in your neighborhood, your parenting. And if you're not living for God's glory, then you send a confusing message to your wife because she's created to ask something to the, to the effect of, how can I help our family bring glory to God? What can I do to come alongside of you and help you be thrust forward as you lead and we pursue God's vision for our family? Now, some of you are looking at me like, who says that? Without Eve... Adam's incomplete. Now I want to pause for a minute. God gives some the gift of singlehood for entire lives. And God's grace is sufficient if you're single or, or if you're married and your, your marriage broke up and life is hard because we know we live in a, in a sin-cursed world and these things happen. If your spouse has passed away before you, something you, you, you wish never would have happened but has Jesus is enough to carry you through. When I say that Adam or Eve completes Adam, don't hear me say that if you never get married, you're never going to be complete and fulfilled. No, that's not true. But we are talking about marriage. And in marriage, man and woman are meant to complete each other, to complement one another. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, speaking about the body, body of Christ. But he says, never the Lord, never, nevertheless, in the Lord... Woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. In other words, we need each other. We are interdependent beings. We're meant to, to complement one another, to help one another in our marriage. And it means that where he lacks, she helps. She compliments. I'll tell you. And there are some general ways this is true for men and women, but then there are also just from a personality and a strength and weakness standpoint, it's true. I'm not great with finances. I'm not great with discipline. I'm not great with patience. And I, the list could go on. And Sherilyn helps me live for God's glory in each of these ways and more. We talk about things. I need help. She helps me. She helps me. Not to prop me up, but because we're living for God's glory. And let me just be clear. I, I may share some examples from our life, but you don't have to be a pastor to be living for God's glory. In fact, we need a whole bunch of people that aren't pastors living for God's glory. I knew my calling on my life as a pastor. And so before we got married, we had some conversations about what it looks like to be a pastor's wife, which I really couldn't tell her because I didn't know anything about being a pastor's wife. But ministry comes with curveballs. Ministry comes with joys, mountaintops, valleys, difficulty. And I've watched Sherilyn as the Lord, we got married and I was a worship pastor in New Jersey and then the Lord began to pivot my call at that church and I shifted over to serve as youth pastor, which I had done previously. And, um, 
And there was some uncertainty in Sherilyn about what this new role might look like. She just was like, I don't know how great of a, like a youth pastor's wife I'll be. You know, insecurity begins to set in. We walked, I remember, I can tell you right now, we lived on King Cole Drive. And um, we would walk around and hold hands and walk and talk and pray. And I would say, well, this is where I think the Lord is leading, but let's just keep committing it to prayer. And for months, we committed it to prayer. And we just said, God has to do this. I mean, it has to be the Lord's working. I wasn't even moving to a new church. And we watched the Lord put one step in front of another. Circumstances we didn't even initiate as the Lord brought everything to pass. And my lovely wife would say, I see God working. And I don't know what it looks like, but let's go. What am I supposed to do? I'm like, just be you and be a mom in front of the kids. It'll be fine. And I watched her say, how can I come alongside and help you? And she loves being in the background. She's found all kinds of things to do in the background, which is no problem at all. But we needed wisdom, patience, sacrifice, and a willing willingness to submit to what the Lord's plan was for our life. But that took... Seeking the Lord together, making decisions together, and joining our hearts in in what God's will is. And man, I'll say again, if you believe your God-given role as the head of your home is to build your ego, and I'm called to lead, and you're called to follow, again, you're going to make it hard for your wife. Her call is the same, but you're going to make it hard for her. God calls us to lay down our lives for our wives. Every day this is practical. What's something that would bless her? That would take something off of her plate? That maybe you don't enjoy doing? Lay down your wife. No. Lay down your life. (laughs) For your wife. (laughs) I'm just going to keep on going. Sacrificial love is what God calls us to. I got so many things going through my mind right now. I'm pretty sure conviction is soon to follow. Ladies, listen, and men, listen. Authority is not tyranny. We live in a world that is anti-authority, except the person saying what they want to happen. Authority is good. Leadership is good. Authority is necessary for society. Authority is given to those delegated by God to those who are supposed to use it for good. Supposed to use it for good. God determines what is good. And so, wives, take your cue from Scripture, from God who is good in every way, and understand and embrace God's good plan in creating you, listen, in his image and likeness as a suitable helper for your husband. In God's wisdom, there is nothing, not an iota of anything demeaning about this. We just hear too much of the world system 
telling us other things. But God says this is good. And it is good. Wives, submission flows from your submission to Christ. Verse 22 tells us, submit to your own husbands. Just a quick aside. Wives, looking all around the room. You're not called to submit to me. You're called to submit to your own husbands. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. It's voluntary. The tense of this word tells us that it's voluntary. It grabs its cue from verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so at times there is a, there is a mutual submission at times. But some will overstate that to say, you know what, we're called to mutual submission. Look at verse 21. Well, in some ways we are called to mutual submission. There are times that my wife gives me advice about something. I ask her for advice, and sometimes, um, sometimes I don't have the privilege of asking her, and I, I hear her advice. And when I listen to her advice, there are so many times I am so blessed by the wisdom that God has given her, by the perspective God has given her. The ways that I know I'm not good in a particular area, or sometimes it's just, you know, we could do this or we could do that. It all seems, and so we talk it out. And at the end of the day, she says, whatever you, whatever you, you know, whatever you want to do or however you think the Lord is leading. And sometimes I say, boy, I sure appreciate that. And, and I take her advice and there's a, there can be a mutual submission there. But on the grand scheme, God's called me to lead our family. But, but I don't do it with my ears plugged and just telling her to get in line. No. No, that would be an affront to the Lord. Why? Because I'm to care for her as I do my own body. I'm to care for her as I do myself. And ladies, wives, as you look to Jesus, the author of your faith and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame, gave his life at Calvary, Ladies, you look to the Lord, and as you submit to Jesus, you find it in you. In other words, Christ gives you a desire to grow, I almost said growingly, to increasingly grow in understanding how and what it looks like to submit to your husband. Ladies, it doesn't mean that... uh, if he's not great at it, that God's plan for you changes. Maybe you got married and then after you're married, you, you came to faith. And you're married to someone who is not a believer. Or, or maybe, maybe you didn't follow God's plan as a Christian and you married a non-Christian. Well, that comes with consequences. And I don't mean, you know, too bad, suck it up, buttercup, not at all. Because every one of us in this room makes decisions that go against what the Lord's will is for us. Every single one of us. I could go on and on and on and on and on about the ways that I have made decisions that don't bring glory to the Lord and that have affected my family previously, before I was married, and as we're married now. So this is not, this is not that at all. But Peter gives wisdom 
In 1 Peter 3, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if, even if some do not obey the word, they may be, which means the word of God, uh, they may be one without a word. Listen, by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. That means godly, respectful, and pure. It doesn't mean doormat. Some strong women in here, and that's wonderful. It's good. Verse 3, he says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on a gold jewelry or clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with an imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is which in God's sight is very precious. This isn't a comment about whether or not you can wear makeup or jewelry. This is saying, focus on the character of who you are. Go hard after Jesus. Lean into him. Trust his perfect plan in your life, even when it's hard, or especially when it's hard. If I asked everybody to line up right now and say, line up over here, and I want you to come, and I want you to list, oh, five to ten things. Let's just pretend we didn't have any pride. Let's just pretend we didn't have to try to cover for our own our own. Well, whatever. And we all started listing things. We would be here all day. And I'm not kidding. We'd be here for hours listing ways that life is really hard. Some of it is we are the recipients of other people's sin. And some of it is we're the ones who make other people the recipients of our sin. Right? So the point is, this is not about who makes all the right decisions all the time. No, but wherever you find yourself today, you can't go back and change anything. So wherever you are today, look to Jesus and say, Father, through Christ who is now in me, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you develop in me a Christ-honoring, submissive spirit to my husband? And Father, I need to pray that you will change me. And if I can just tag something onto this, Lord, will you do work in him too? And I'm going to trust you, Lord. Brothers, sisters, there's nothing as wonderful as sitting back and watching God transform someone else's heart. It doesn't always mean they're going from unsaved to saved. It means we're all growing in Christ. And say, God, do a work in him that I can't do. It's not my job to make him obey you. It's my job to walk with you so that through the pure conduct of my life, the honorable conduct of my life, you might show him what it's like to walk in submission to Jesus so that he will walk in submission to Jesus. And as we both walk with you, draw us closer together. Every one of us is called to a life of submission to Christ. Submission is when you, you, you joyfully set aside aspects of your will. Now that's employing your will in some ways. You, you, you render yourself, you, you seat yourself under someone and say, I'm going to follow. And it's okay because I don't have to lead. I don't have to have my way because God's in charge. It really comes down to whether or not we're trusting the Lord.
Now, this is hard because there are more what-if scenarios than I can touch with a 10-foot pole today. Submission to your own husband reflects Jesus' submission to the Father. Think about this. Jesus, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit, and yet he submits himself to the Father's plan. Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Even to death, Jesus submitted himself. So it reflects Jesus' submission to the Father as Jesus is the head of the church. So ladies, you submit what it looks like for the church to submit to Christ. Sometimes as elders talk, we often pray something to the effect of the privilege of being able to serve as under-shepherds. Because we serve under Jesus, the chief shepherd. And ladies, I know many of you know the word. You want to see our church follow Jesus in everything. Right, ladies? I know you do. I hear you talk about it. You love the Bible. You love the Lord Jesus. And you want to follow him in every way. Well, Christ has called wives to follow their husbands, to render themselves to their husbands. I need to say this. Abuse is deplorable. Abuse is deplorable. There's all kinds of degrees and we can't get into it except to say we would never advocate for anyone to be in an environment that is unsafe. Get out from under it. Come to the church. Let us help you. We will advocate for you. We will help you. You have to make the decision. We can't force that on you. But we will come alongside of you. The church hasn't always done that well. In fact, right now the church has not not Oak Grove per se, but a pretty pretty big black eye right now in some contexts. And so as a church, we've got to do better. But those kinds of extenuating circumstances aside, God has called you wives to submit and to render yourselves to your husbands. To resist a, an authority is to resist God. Satan resisted God. I'll go so far just to keep all things as equal as I can, men. When you're not intentional to seek the Lord... You do a tremendous disservice to your wife, to your own soul. And I pray that God would change that in you. Some of you say, you know what? I've lived this many years now. I don't know how to change it at this point. Well, you repent. Repent's worship. Repent is wonderful. God, I confess my failures, unintentional and intentional. And I praise you that you are faithful to forgive me. So you repent, men. Some of you need to repent today. Say, well, I haven't done anything that bad. 
Are you leading your family to follow the Lord? Do your best. Do your part to make it joyful for your wife to come in under your leadership and, and submit to you as you submit to the Lord. Listen, if, if the head, the brain sends a signal to your leg, your foot to step forward, and your, leg, your body starts moving that way, but your leg goes sideways, I mean, it just, your body doesn't work. If the head, the husband, is sending the wrong signals, or if the wife is not receiving the signals or receiving them, but doing her own will, the body doesn't function. The body doesn't function. This analogy fills out through the whole church. And so we're to submit as the church submits to Christ, right? Christian marriages need to be totally different, radically different from the world, right? We don't need to be in a relationship where we're competing together, where we're manipulating one another. (coughs) Excuse me. We don't need to be manipulating doing whatever we can. We don't need to be negotiating. There's a whole lot of marriage negotiating that goes on. I don't mean there's not ever a time for negotiating on circumstances, but that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the negotiating of, uh, well, I'll treat you this way if you'll treat me that way. No. How about, let's follow Jesus. Let's follow the pattern of Christ. Let's lay down our lives for one another. Let's serve one another. Let's get after it together. The world ought to look at Christian marriages and say, I don't really know what's going on there. It looks kind of weird to me, but I want that. I want what they have. It's not perfect. I'm not under any illusion that it's perfect. Because I see they got plenty of holes in their armor, chinks in their armor. But there is something different that makes it work in a special way with them. I want that. I want that. And we get to say something to the effect of, well, here's how you get it. Stop trusting in your selfishness and your own wisdom and come, turn to the Lord. Turn from your old ways and turn to the Lord Jesus. Repent and trust him and he will make you new. You'd be amazed what he'll do in your life. So let me ask you a question. What do you do with all this? Right? I mean, for the Christian, it sounds nice in theory, but... But walking it out is, uh, is a little bit more challenging. Well, first thing I want to ask you to do, and this is men and women, husbands and wives, teenagers, how do you do submitting to your own parents right now? That's free. Assess your own place in your own marriage. Don't compare your marriage to somebody else's. You have no idea what's going on behind the closed doors with them. No idea. You don't know what they've been through or what they've worked to to get to where they are today. So assess yourself, not your spouse. This isn't the elbowing time, you know, I hope you're listening today. She got an elbow in last week. I'm getting one in this week. No. Husbands, are you loving your wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her? Wives, is it your desire to submit yourself to the leadership of your husband? 
I'm not sure what to do. Let me give you a starting point. Now, this takes some courage. This takes some courage. Some of you have courage in some areas. Let me encourage you to have courage, faith, trust in the Lord in this area. Go home. Send the kids outside to play and say, Honey, babe, schnookums, sweet pie, whatever you do. How am I doing leading us to follow the Lord? Husbands, if you're not used to leading out in your walk with, in your joint walk with the Lord, with your wives, it's a great way to start. But it's kind of scary because you have to ask the Lord to prepare your heart to hear the truth. Or at least the truth is she thinks it is, right? Then we have to go to the Lord and help us sort all that out. So Lord, give me a teachable spirit. Give me a humble heart so that when I hear, I just don't, just don't defend myself constantly. You know, as elders, we just ask the whole church for assessments. It's really easy to start defending ourselves and explaining things away. And so I'm just coming to you as one who knows. We're very thankful for your input. Very valuable input. Very wonderfully spirited input. We're so thankful for our church family. But it's easy to want to explain away or defend yourself. So husbands, Lord, give me a teachable spirit and a humble heart and say, honey, how am I doing? Honey, I, I want to follow the Lord in this way, but I'm not really sure what to do. And that feels like I can't be a good leader. Do you know, man, if you will humble yourselves before the Lord and before your wife in that way, she'll help you. You see what's happening here? Your helper will help you in learning how to follow the Lord. And that's okay because it's not all on you. Other men in the body will come alongside you and help you acknowledge where you need growth to the Lord, to your wife, wives, same thing. Ask your husband, how am I doing here? Am I more manipulative than I am trusting and honest and more of a straight shooter in our conversation? Or am I trying to always jockey the situation? Am I, am I an easy wife to lead? To pray with and for? How can I grow in this? But ladies, be ready for some honest input. And then commit it to the Lord together. It doesn't matter how long you've been married. The Lord can restore and redeem and change your marriage today. I've seen people that have been married for 50 years and they just humbly get on their knees before the Lord and the Lord does an incredible, an incredible work. What else can you do? Well, apply the context from earlier in Ephesians. And I'm just going to list a couple. Ephesians 1, walk or live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Well, how? Put off your old self. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and which is created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And put on the new self. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, be imitators of God. How? As beloved children. Ladies, you're created with the same innate equal value before the Lord. You are, as Christian ladies, beloved children and walk in love 
as Christ loved himself and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to the Lord. You might, you might pray what, what Paul talks about in Corinthians. Lord, may my life be a pleasing aroma to those who don't know you. But let it start at home. 